And we're back. Yes. Good evening. And we are going to talk about uh, what we've been watching first, but then we're immediately going to get into talking about the festival because, listener, today the full film schedule came out for Yay. the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival, you salty old auntie. I've, I've got a lot of thoughts. I bet you a do. A lot of thoughts. I bet you do. And some of them are unpleasant. So... First, we'll start with pleasant thoughts. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about Crazy Rich Asians first, because it's impossible not to be happy thinking about that movie. Yeah, it's, um, it is, well, actually, it exceeded my expectations. I wanted to like it. I kind of thought it might fall into the realm of like a monsoon wedding, which is a movie that I loved. But there was something about this movie that, um, I mean, I know it's just a rom-com with really incredibly good looking people. It gave me double happiness. (laughs) <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> but there is a, there's something else, and I don't know what that magic ingredient was, um, but there's something about this movie that really touched me. Um, I wish it was Henry Golden. Or, oh. but, but it was just, it was, um, yeah, it was just, it was so lovely. And the, the music? And the character, yes, the music. I love the, the, the Asian covers of all of these Western pop songs. I loved the, um, and I, I was listening to a podcast today, and this is partly, I think, maybe why it resonated so well, but you know, they were talking about uh, the characters played by, um, by Ken um, Jeong and uh, to a lesser extent, Aquafina, because she's got her own thing going. Um, but the guy- And Ronnie too, a little bit. Yeah, so was that, was that Bernard? Um, the guy who played Bernard. It's the guy who's on uh, Silicon Valley. No, Jet's Jimmy O. Yang. Okay. So they were just talking about how this movie had enough room for... So these characters, the ones that I've named, would typically be the only Asian person in a movie, and they would be a broad uh, stereotype of just this sort of like really crazy, wacky Asian person. A slightly less racist version of Uh, of, uh, uh, Long Dog Dong. Exactly. But this movie... Had so these characters were welcome because this movie had you know you had the imperious uh, Michelle Yeoh and then you had Constance Wu like so like but she had a posse of aunties too yes but yeah but so this character is regal you have like the people you know your your Gemma Chans and your Henry Goldings and your Constance Wu's who are bringing like just. Uh, like just a charm offensive they're gorgeous they're interesting they're relatable they're sweet and they're in a rom-com and then you have all these side characters and instead of having just one uh side character for flavor and then maybe i'm veering into something about asian cuisine because there was so much asian cuisine in this movie i was so hungry but there was like you know there was the sweet the salty the what are all the flavors you know they're sweet they're salty there's they're they're sour there's like all of these um, and you don't just have to rely on one wacky character. This movie had enough room for several wacky characters. And to finally have a movie where there are, you know, there can be levels and there can be all kinds of, you know, it's the world building was incredible because you have this whole slew of people who are, they're all individual, unique characters. And the wacky people were all wacky in different ways. And the clothes. Ugh. And the, just the sets, the environments. And that movie, like, when you hear the filmmakers talk, they did not spend a lot of money on this movie. This, um, the budget is well south of $100 million. And uh, I th- um, 
but the amount of ostentatious living that's on display is kind of is kind of mind-boggling because they I mean they didn't shoot it in Singapore because Singapore is really restrictive but they shot some of the exterior stuff in in Singapore and then they shot in another Southeast Asian country but even so to get you know to mount a production with that many people with those many uh, with that many set pieces uh, in a foreign country and to have it not cost a ridiculous amount of money is kind of like insane um, yeah, so like it's it made me so very very happy, and it was just it was so well done, and there was so much heart, and there was so much life in this movie, um, and I cannot like, I've never read any of the books, but I'm so excited for the sequels. My favorite rom com in years for sure, hands down. Yeah, like I can't think of anything uh, that's I, I mean off the top of my head, I, I can't think of anything in recent years that in the rom com realm that's even come close to this. So I haven't read the books. Is the rom com sort of Formula for this going to be the stay with the main characters as they have adorable moppets and some sort of problems and then solve their issues, or is it going to focus on one of the other characters? Well, as Alquafina said, it's going to swerve. Um, so really, Gemma Chan's character, uh, Astrid. Oh, good lord! She is actually the. Um, Can I just watch her go shopping for the next movie? Oh, for one point two million dollars. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so her character is actually the central character in the two follow-ups, so she's going to have a much bigger role. I mean, and I love Gemma Chan because I first saw her in this uh, uh, in this British series called Humans, which was actually a remake of some sort of Scandinavian movie. But um, it's a world in which there are, are every household has a synth, and she plays a perfect robot lady. Yes, but she's wonderful, and it's just and then like going off on a complete tangent. Um, but it's interesting because in, you know, people always talk about underrepresentation, and in North American, um, well, we'll say American because Canada doesn't really produce a lot of television, but compared to what you see... Kim's convenience. Exactly. <laughs> but what you see in the UK in terms of Asian characters, like, I can only think of her and Benedict Wong, who are, like, uh, and most people would have not have any clue as to who they are. There are almost zero like East Asian uh, 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 British actors. Now, mind you, there are a lot of South Asian characters, but even in the UK, when they say Asian, like like in North America, Asian tends to mean um, like somebody of a Chinese or a Korean uh, background, but in the UK, they mean South Asian. So it's almost as though Asian people, I mean, I think 3% of the American population is Asian, but it's got to be much smaller in the UK. It's almost like Asian characters don't, exists so the fact that Gemma Chan is from the UK kind of and it kind of just adds a nice little wrinkle on this whole pan-Asian thing like everyone gets a little bit just like in Black Panther like you know you have actors from Africa you have actors from uh, the US you have actors from the UK like everyone gets a little bit um, yeah so it made me it made me very happy in a year where we've had a lot of great cinema but this uh, this maybe means a lot yeah yeah and I'm not even Asian I know. And it means a lot to me. So there, my only concern is now there's even more competition for that popular Oscar. Which, which Black Panther, if this category does indeed go through, should win. But if it doesn't, it's kind of hilarious. Like, not funny, ha but wah-wah. I actually hope that uh, the Academy comes to its senses and doesn't go through with the charade because it's not necessary. I mean, we don't need a category for popular films um and it's not i mean not for nothing but you know abc um 
airs the Oscars. ABC owns Marvel. <laughs> ABC yeah. owns Disney. They have all the popular have, things already. Yeah, like ABC's, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Disney and Marvel have like the majority of box office. So they kind of own most of it. So they're trying to just really, like it's, I, I don't even know if this sort of violates some sort of antitrust thing because they're saying, okay, so we own the network that broadcasts the award show, but we want to make sure that one of our movies which already takes up most of the box office, gets an award as well. Like, it just seems really weird to me. Um, and you know what? Nobody's watching any television. The Oscars, you know, they get... Like, it's... Well, we're told there's a billion uh, people watching worldwide, which is probably bullshit, but... Honestly, if I'm going to watch an opening segment on YouTube, I'm more likely to go back and watch, like, a Neil Patrick Harris Tony opening number. Yeah, I mean, make the show better. Or don't make it at all but don't throw in stupid categories because if there's like a popular oscar category in this show like it's not going to make the show better the show sucks like what is it i mean the golden globes two hours way more entertaining and they're drunk yeah so why can't they just do that like what are the, the oscars are so overblown and stupid although i you know i'm saying this is someone who's watched Every year that I can Most remember, since I was yeah. a little kid, I remember watching the Oscars, but yeah. I flew to L.A. for an Oscar party last year. Yeah, but it's just, um, they have to change it. It's not the awards that they hand out. It's the show that they produce. Yeah. And until they get that through their stupid Gil Cates heads, I mean, for Gil Cates probably hasn't been around for like a million years, but it's just, you know. They're Bruce Valanche heads. I was going to say, like, yeah, you know Bruce Valanche is back there writing jokes for the host. 100%. And don't bring back... Um, do not bring back Billy Crystal. Do not bring back Whoopi Goldberg. Don't bring an Ellen. Don't have, um, I mean, ideally. Maybe a Bo Burnham. Oh, then, yeah, that would, or I'm thinking like even like, I mean, God love them. I mean, you you get like a teamy, a teamy, a Tina Poehler. Tina Poehler? Tina Fey, <laughs> Amy Poehler combo. So. And I am there for that. Let's let's pause for a sponsor break. Listener, tonight we're drinking some lovely cocktails, if you couldn't guess. Uh. What's the name of these? Uh, it's uh, Founders uh, Original. Founders Original. Beautiful cans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so say we all. Beautiful cans. The design is just great. There's three options available at the LCBO if you're in Ontario. So listener, visitor, if you're here for the festival, pick them up. You can get a bourbon sour in a tall can. And if you're anything like me, You'll ask your friend to add a couple extra shots to that bourbon sourdough tall can to really spice up the night. So, and this is a proudly uh, they are made in. Um, they're actually made in Toronto. It's not even like they're made in like Bracebridge or yeah. some little village. Like this is Toronto. The cans Beautiful. are great too because the cans are all embossed. Yeah, um, helps and, you keep a good grip on them. But there's a lot of stuff on the can too. Like you could read it on the subway. But probably not drink it on the subway. Yeah, well, you could. No, what people would think it was just a pop. They actually would. Uh, yeah, there's a vodka fizz, there's a bourbon sour, and there's a uh, old-fashioned. So right now I'm having the bourbon sour uh-huh. that I added a couple extra shots to. So thoughts on Crazy Rich Asians to sum it all up? Amazing. You should go see it. Yeah, it is really, it's a fantastic late summer surprise in a year of really great movies um, across the spectrum. Like, like all Great docs. Great, uh, all of the like all these summer action movies, like like superhero movies, action movies, like your Mission Impossibles, your small movies like Leave No Trace. Like everything has been 
you know, in like your your socially conscious movies, like Sorry to Bother You. Well, they, these emerging filmmakers. So it's like there's been so much, and this will I will take a hard pivot to the film festival later, um, and I will make the argument that we don't need the film festival. But that's like that's my uh, that that's my thesis. That's a big swing. That's my thesis. So uh, as the namer of my podcast. I guess we're going to have to come up with a new name for next year if we don't need the festival anymore. Yeah. Um, I can't come yeah. up with it off the top yeah, of my you, head. Yeah, you can't put on demand. But, yeah. but they do say that, <laughs> that times of uh, strife and trouble do tend to bring out the best in artists. So maybe the trash fire that the world is is really sort of making all of these artists and creators you know, shift into that you know, fourth gear, which is, you know kind of great for us as consumers and also to have something else to look at and enjoy other than you know what's actually happening right now but well, yeah it's been a, it's been a great year like it's up there with what was that year 1994 was one of those like banner years <laughs> for just year. good movies I think yeah it was like this not every year is like this well I would posit that it's not even that filmmakers are on fire it's where I mean art is always um, a reaction to politics, and I think what we're looking at now, in terms of art, is really—and I hate this term—post-racial—but um, the art that we're looking at now is a reflection of a post-Obama presidency, where people are finally getting around to recognizing that diversity matters and being interested in diverse voices, and not just people. Not just people who've been othered, but white audiences are clamoring for something more. So I think art is reflecting that. So I don't think it's a matter of like Boots Riley like operating at his highest level. I think this is just Boots Riley. I think this is what there are all kinds of filmmakers who never had a chance, and finally we're seeing people get chances um, to make art that they never had chances to make before. Um, whereas, um, I mean, obviously the culture is not experiencing this in real life, but through art, there's a lot of openness and a lot of uh, willingness to take on other people's experiences. Um, and I think that probably is, you know, that that's reflective of half of uh, American society anyway. Um, but these are, but of course, these are the, the closest elites who are making the art, so. Well, the year isn't over yet, but uh -oh. listener was not yet as uh, inebriated as I thought. When I go to the iPhone and see uh, the year in film that was 1994, that was the year that brought us Hoop Dreams. Uh, a few other little gems that you may have heard of, like uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, a little romp that uh, Queen Bee's going to be redoing called The Lion King, as well as... Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump. So oh, 94 Fiction. was that one of those exactly. years that, much like this year, was you know hitting all the quadrants. Uh, and I think that uh, this year will go down in infamy with, I mean, definitely in terms of having something for everyone, but just good quality, something for everyone, things that you already want to go back to. I already purchased Black Panther on Blu-ray, no surprise, and I'm sure, God, if only for some of the special features. Mm. Uh, I'm probably going to buy Avengers Infinity War. I saw something on YouTube where there's an outtake of there being some actual thunder and then Chris Hemsworth adorably saying, sorry guys, that was me. Oh, he's so cute. I <laughs> that's, okay, that's fucking adorable. Exactly. I mean, 
I can't. It's it, it's been a good year in movies. Is he the best so Chris? No, he's it's like he's a third best Chris. It depends on the day, honestly. That day he moved into second. No, so he had his eye on number one. Oh, sorry, no, he's number two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two. Pine is number one. Rocking that daddy beard in the Outlaw King. It this eyes. Yeah, Pine's number one. Yeah. I think he's actually the prettiest Chris, and then him. I don't know what and I would do. Evans, and then by a country mile behind, Pratt. Actually, can we put another Chris in the like the fourth position and the, I, you know, and bump Pratt down to five? I want to ease off Chris Pratt. He's not that bad. If the yes, if the other three Chrises mm. didn't exist, he wouldn't come off so poor in comparison. Listen, he's a he's a churchy. Church is not bad. I'm not, I'm not done. Okay. He's a churchy, uh, Republican, uh, God and country. I don't see my experiences reflected in film. Why aren't there more movies for blue yeah. collar dudes? Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. I'm, so I'm sorry. Like, You're reminding is, me. I can't. I okay. can't. I'm not, saying he's a, I'm not saying he's a terrible human being and deserves to die, but I don't, like, he doesn't have any of my, I got nothing more. We're being positive. So I do want to say that I I'm not the kind of person, mostly because I just don't have the time, that stands outside the big movies and screams and hoots and hollers or tries to stalk a celebrity or thinks that I'll lose it when I see the most famous person that's, you know, at the kind of photo lineup. However, I am truly curious uh, about what I would do if I got within, I'm going to say, even 30 feet of Chris Pine Mm -hmm. because it's that extra Star Trek factor. Whenever I see anyone that's been in any version of Trek, I tend to get really, 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 really dumb or weird or freeze up or pee a little. I mean, yeah. And he's got those dreamy eyes. He does have those dreamy eyes. And his mouth isn't bad either. Yeah, anyway, point is, um, yeah, that's one of the movies that'll be here. It's one of the big Netflix movies that's going to be at TIFF. It ha- I think it has one of the earliest, it's one of the earliest premiere screenings. If it's not Thursday, it's Friday. Outlocking. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. He has an accent in this. Apparently, is he playing a Scottish person? Is he mm-hmm. playing uh, Robert the Bruce? I guess. Yeah. Well. I think Scottish people aren't that happy. Well, I mean, you know, he's uh, he's cute. Yeah. He's the, the most Scottish people, I, I bet. Is he doing... Except Highlander. Is he equivalent Not of, Highlander. He's, uh, the other one. I wonder if Scottish people compare him to ScarJo. Who knows? What am I thinking of? The show when they go through the thing? With that lady. You know what I'm talking about. The show where they go through the thing with that lady could be a lot of things. It's Scottish. It's Ronald D. Moore. Hi, hi, uh, Outlander. Outlander. Oh, okay. Yes, Outlander. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Highlander is the, there can be only one. Yes. A lot of beheading. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. But Outlander. Almost as much beheading as Game Sassanac. of Thrones. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, some hot Scots in that too. Yeah. Hot Scots. Hot Scots. <laughs> okay. I have to be able to brand that in some way. <laughs> really Even if it's did. just a guy's name, Scott. <laughs> All right, and we also saw Black Klansman. Yes. It's only showing him four theaters in Toronto. Um, do better. And But other, I mean, but we saw um, Sorry to Bother You in VIP, so... Um, yeah, we wasn't even in VIP. I'm very concerned that Spike Lee of all, like the granddaddy of, you know, modern... There would be no Bootsy without Spike. Yeah, for sure. Or Boots. I mean, Bootsy Collins, I guess, boots was already there. Boots with Spikes. That's, uh, boots Riley. You can go yeah. climb your mountain with Boots with Spikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was um, a very strange release. But having seen the completed... I mean... I that sounds like a great teenage movie name. The Strange Release. <laughs> well, that's a nocturnal omission. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, um, it was a movie that the more I watched it, the, the less I was with it. And toward the end, I sort of found myself very much disliking it. Um, Although it made me or, like Adam Driver more. I've always liked, I, I like Adam Driver a lot, so he was not the problem. And even, like, in John David Washington was fine. Like, I didn't really have any problem with the performances or the performers. Um, I thought everyone acquitted themselves nicely, but... I was happy that Spike had a woman in his film that he allowed her to not be a sexual object and kept her clothes on. But she got, um, she got groped by a cop, and that was hand-waved away by, uh, oh, let's just go dancing. <laughs> it was yeah. very, like, if this is Spike trying to, to uh, have a female character uh, in his movie who is neither a Madonna or a whore, because that is his dichotomy. Or his sister. Yeah, or Joy, or Joy Lee. <laughs> yeah. um, then he's, I mean, and in contrast... I'm to, not saying he's doing great, but he hasn't gotten worse. He's gotten better. Yeah, he's gotten better, but... She kept all her clothes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, the movie is in a year where, you know, you had Sorry to Bother You and um, Blind Spotting, both of which are, um, like, complete, like, who would think that the two movies about, you know, like... Uh, the African-American experience in Oakland would be so different, like thematically different, uh, tonally different, but both fun and funny and with all all kinds of things to say about race. Um, Are you including Black Panther in that? Because Killmonger would have something to say. Oh, that's right, yeah. But I, but that's I mean it's, it's just but Black Panther's in a class of his own. Yeah. But like but like so much Oakland. But on paper, Blind Spotting and Sorry to Bother You seem like they would have a lot in common. Uh, but they don't. And then you have like Spike Lee uh, with Black Klansman, which is the movie of all three that I was most looking forward to because the, bu- the buzz was so, um, was so loud. And I also, I, I always find this very interesting when I am so um, a, a diametrically opposed to an audience because Black Klansman is one of the few movies I've seen this year where there were applause at the end. And um, it's interesting to me, it's you know, and I had a discussion with somebody um, who called this um, her favorite Spike Lee movie. No. To which I asked, well, what, um, uh, what do you think his number two movie is? And she said, uh, Inside Job. And I was like, eh, wrong. His number Inside Man. The best. Was it called Inside? Movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his number one best movie by a long shot is Malcolm X. We're not arguing about this because it's a fact. And then number two, that's up for discussion. But I love. 25th hour. Um, oh, yeah. So I was just like, oh, okay. So, um, I mean, there's, you know, do the right things if she's got to yeah. have it. I've always had like a soft spot for Mobit or Blues because I watched that right around the time I started mm-hmm. to actually get into listening to like old man jazz and like buying cassettes of that, like instrumental jazz. And the theme music. song is great. Like Mobit or Blues, the song yeah. is a great song. Yeah. But uh, the fact that somebody's favorite um, Spike Lee movies are uh, Black Klansman and uh, inside man are like we're not gonna we're not gonna ever see eye to eye on I do really like this. inside man one because of my love for Clive Owen and that it, spills over into young Matthew Lewis I see you never log bottom you still look like a baby is, Clive Owen but Spike Lee's number two movie no 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 like no. I, I like inside job too but it's not or inside man, man. Jesus uh, but it's not 
it's not his no. number two movie. No. I like the fact that after all the serious stuff he did, and he did a lot of docs, he did the Four yeah. Little Girls, he did the Bad Twenty Five. He actually he let the when the when the levees yeah. broke, which is his. I, th- I mean, that's a fan. That's yeah, a class so all in its own. I like that he was able to finally sort of do something with somebody else's story because most yeah. of his things were either you know deeply personal documentaries or stories that he had some part in you know creating or curating. Um, I liked that he took somebody else's story and just showed you know the strength of his skills as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. because that was just a beautiful looking movie too and it was just well put together the editing was good uh you know took advantage of like all of the good things about the talent in his film the way his movies have always been fantastic the way Jodie Foster walks she just chews up ground and as she's like marching towards you menacingly the way you feel inside it's just, I don't want her to open her mouth because I'm scared. Like, he did so many great things with uh, that movie. I do enjoy it, but it's not that it's his best. I think yeah. it was his reemergence to sort of like the mainstream kind of a reminder of he's still there. Yes. To and other that, people. Black I, people always knew Spike was still out there did, grinding. But I think that was also part of the point is that he could, if Spike Lee ever chose to make his movies for mainstream audiences, he can. He's just never chosen to, so he has the chops. Um and maybe this is, you know, with, uh, I feel like my... Uh, I will say I even enjoyed maybe parts of Chirac more than parts of Black Klansman. Oh, I totally, I, I really like Chirac. What, to me, what Black Klansman is, is a, is a Spike Lee movie for an entirely uh, non-Black audience. Because it is a primer on race. I don't need to be told that the modern Klan sprung from... Um, uh, the birth of a nation. I don't need to see scenes juxtaposed with people yelling black power and white power. I don't need. It was to me. It was so didactic, and it. I, I knew everything that it was telling me, and personally, I wouldn't really want to know anybody who walked away from that movie and was like, oh, "That's a revelation," because that, to me, would say that this person has zero idea of race relations. In um, in America, in the last uh, like forever fifty years, yeah. So that's why, like, what is the opposite of woke? Yeah, like, like that's to me is why anybody who lo- again, I'm not like slamming the person who told me this, but I sort of thought, well, what, did it take Spike Lee making this movie to open your eyes to? And this? maybe that's what it can do, because he is an established director. People will go see this that maybe wouldn't see some of those other films that you mentioned, and they will actually learn something because it's framed in such a safe way for them with these images that remind them of other things because it's very self-referential. You have your floating dolly shot. You have your sort of plaintive music cut. You have literally the voice of Spike's films in reincarnated in the offspring of Pauletta and Denzel Washington. It is unnerving at some points because... He doesn't look... He looks mo- like his mother, but he sounds like his father. Yeah, and his voice, his intonation yeah. is, at times, especially when he's sort of doing his undercover voice, it gives me a real, um, a bit of, sort of that great Grantham voice that he had in the Pelican Brief, where I say, uh, that was probably one of the first characters that was real publicly known, that it wasn't, it was a Denzel role that wasn't written for a black man. Right. Yeah, and in a way, he sort of did that, Sorry to bother you, white voice, a little bit. 
And that was a little bit of that Ron Stallworth voice. It was, it took me out of the movie actually a little bit, his voice sounding so much like his father, but well, I, but yeah, I did love that floating dolly shot, but I didn't love it because yeah. of the way they executed in this movie. I loved it because it reminded me of all of the floating dolly shots in all of his other movies. And I immediately went home and watched like a YouTube montage of Spike Lee floating dolly shots. Yeah, I mean, that's like, it's like at this point, you can't make a Spike Lee movie without it. But it's one of these things I wish that wasn't in every Spike Lee movie. Just like, you know, it's like, it's basically the Spike Lee equivalent of the Stan Lee cameo in every Marvel movie. But those always kind of like, it, the Spike Lee uh, thing is I'm just like, oh, here it is. But with at least with the Stan Lee cameo, I always forget that it's coming because the movies are so interesting. That when, Sp- uh, that when um, uh, oh, Stan Lee and Spike Lee. When, when Stan Lee shows up, I'm always like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Um, and I mean, he's, he's definitely, he's mellowing in his, I'm not going to say old age. He's old. He, he's mellowing as he's matured. And I would be interested to see what he does. I'm more interested to see what he does next after this. Because I feel like he'll have a little more leeway, goodwill, you know, except for maybe some of the critiques. Uh, he's getting a better reaction to this. He's getting the, it's the same thing that happens with the Oscars, to take it back to what we were talking about before, that I hate. The Oscars rewards people yeah, later like, for yeah. substandard yeah, work. Yes, so if he gets an Oscar nomination for this, I'd be like, And no, not substandard, but they don't, years later. they don't give it to people for their best work. Though. He and Denzel should have won for Malcolm X. Yes, 100%. And I will say just one last thing about this is um, there used to be this fantastic podcast called uh, Our National Conversation about conversations about, about race. race. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they always talked about how it's not the role of the person in, uh, of, of color, specifically a black person, in a room to explain uh, race, because everyone will stop and look at the black person to explain the issue. And it's not my job to make you more woke. Yeah, it's not my job to explain racism to you or to speak for all black people. And that's kind of how this movie felt to me. It's like, okay, so you're taking on, on this role of explaining... Uh, racial injustice and inequality and also it's Spike Lee he's done this his entire career in way more nuanced ways so uh, for him to make this movie at this stage of his career where there is no nuance and it's and I don't know what his intention was but I was just like really like but you know what I'm gonna say we got it Fill up our drinks. Well, I would and say that too. We got to get to our top oh, tip yeah, yeah, list. Yeah. But I will say, you should see this movie. But what I would say should really happen is this fall, Tiff, you should do a Spike retrospective so people can see this movie with all the other Spike movies and understand. Well, maybe next year because we know it's not going to happen this year. <laughs> I mean, the fall retrospective, I don't know if they've announced what the fall. They usually announce oh, like the program after. Oh, sorry, you're talking yeah, like, like not the it. festival, but like the. Yeah. But TIFF yeah. institution. They yes. should do yes. a, a Spike Lee retrospective and let people see, you know, some of those other things that we're talking about. Yeah, and like, you'll understand. It's not that. Listen, I've seen way shittier movies than Black Klansman 100%. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But if you want to go in and literally have Lawrence Fishburne screaming at you to wake up, yeah. then you can watch a bunch of other speculations. School days, for Christ's sake. Yeah. School days. Like, just deep cuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big Brother, Dean Almighty. Yeah. yeah like, I think I actually yeah. might put school days in my top three. Yeah. Like, it's just... And the thing with Spike, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Uh, he can he can do better. And he's just... I feel like this happens to a lot of artists. Yeah. Uh, you become... 
you know, insular he, he's almost ready and for wealthy the, and you're older and you don't have the edge. He's ready for the master's program. Yeah. Listener, one more reason why I go light on the master's program, this this shit right here. You know, make, make a movie about an old black dude living in, in, in Brooklyn. All right, we're going to fill up our cups and get back to our topics. And we're back, and we moved on to red wine. Uh, just a quick note for you, listener. If you're looking to uh, get tips on how to get tickets for the festival, not much has changed since they went online. Go back in the archives when I was still writing before I was podcasting. Uh, do a search for the words like uh, off-sale, or uh, I did a post on how to read the program book and the descriptions. So look out for words like ambitious or... Um, noir-esque or anything that implies that it's rough around the edges. Uh, you know who my favorite programmer is? Jane Schodel. You know who my favorite programmer isn't? He who shall not be named. But he's living in a, in a veil of shame. Well, not really. Not really. And my shame. He's living in a veil of my shame. If you were trying to get tickets for any movie in the first four days of the festival, those are the toughest days to get a ticket because the biggest movies are premiering then. It is a weekend, uh, so you got a lot of couples. You got a mix of hardcore film people and trash from the 05 that check their phone every five minutes, flashing those bright lights and taking you out of your suspension of disbelief. So if you are really into just seeing the films, you know what, wait till Tuesday, Wednesday and try to pick up something in midweek yeah. and you'll have a much easier time. But if you really want to see one of the big films, then get out there and grind, like use whatever hookups you have, uh, get online right at 7 a.m. because anything that you want to see that you've heard of, if you don't already know what's up, it's probably going to be off sale by the time the tickets are available. If you're a member and you got one of those by mistake 3 a.m. ticket slots and they didn't fix that with the follow-up emails yet, I'm sorry. It appears that there were a lot of technical difficulties yeah, I this had, year. I had a 10 p.m. Uh, and then they revised it to a 1 p.m. I was like, yeah. what am I? Somebody say it's up past 10? There's there's already been some well, technical snafus this year. For mm-hmm. the first time since they moved to this Ticketmaster model, now there's also a tiered pricing. So you can, if you're buying a single ticket and you're a member, try to get tier A seats, uh, which would be slightly more than just your regular single ticket price. And then tier is, B and C will be your regular ones. What does this have something to do with your, how you actually are situated in the theater? With the theaters that have reserved seating, yeah. So they've added yet another level of complexity. Didn't announce it Every great. Every year, they, there's always a clawback. If there's not a price increase, yeah. then there's a clawback in... It's mostly access. Yeah, and there's still going to be seat numbers on every ticket. I'm 100% sure because yeah. they didn't sort that out with Ticketmaster. But there's still only going to be a handful of theaters where reserve seating actually matters. So you know what? I've given up trying to explain this shit. It's their job. And I, if you have an option of seeing a movie in Scotiabank Theater as opposed to somewhere else... Take the summer else. The escalator is two years broken. They fixed it last year in time for the festival. And then it broke. It's and if you even if you go to the Cineplex website and you click on Scotiabank, there was a permanent message there saying that their escalators don't work. It is probably one of the tallest escalators in North America. It Seventy-five is, steps if you're taking the stairs. Brutally steep. Like it takes. I think I timed it. It's two minutes of escalating, um, to get to the top, and it's very steep and. This thing will not be fixed in time for the festival. They should not have, they should not give Scotiabank Theater the 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 the, the I don't know, dignity right to screen films. I wish they bring it back to the AMC. Well, they have what used to be the AMC. Most of the press and industry screenings there. So if you look at the regular Move schedule, it. and you see that there's a lot of 
uh, slots in the daytime where they aren't having things at the Scotiabank, it's because most of the P&I screenings are there. I think they're hoping the reduced load during the daytime means it might not break as early but or say broken year, as often. When the, they should have made the call last year yeah, that we're not going to have it here because yeah. there were no problems. And even at AMC, if first of all, there's multiple escalators, so you're not going to have them all broken. And it's easier to walk up the stairs if you couldn't walk up the escalator. Uh, what does that make? It didn't make any sense. If the escalators weren't working, it's much easier to walk up the escalators at what was formerly the AMC and then the, the Young and Dundas. It would finally cinemas. give them excuse to clean up those bathrooms because the yeah. AMC bathrooms are really. Yeah, they're, sh- oh, they're shaky. Uh, but I yeah. mean, it's a Cineplex now. We still call it AMC because that's Cause what it was. Oh, yeah, back in the day. Yeah. But it is a travesty, and um, it makes me really mad. And uh, I'm just saying that they need to do better. Even as a theater to go to in the city, I won't go to the Scotiabank because I'm not walking up those flights of stairs. And that elevator is really small and dingy, too, so... Like, I don't have any faith in that. And it's and once you're up there, it's usually, it's quite manky. It gets, as we've discussed many times, like a hot, wet funk by the end of the week that just does not dissipate. It's not a great theater. But I'm going to reverse myself 180 degrees by saying it's one of the only theaters in the city that you can get a drink in your no, theater. When you're like, not in VIP. Yes, yes. So if you are a booze hound, such as myself, maybe you climb up the stairs and then maybe you fall down the stairs. Yeah. So yeah. Just, be careful. You know what? Be if careful. you're if you're gonna go to Scotiabank, just wear a cute flat, a cute ballet flat, some new kicks. Like that's not gonna stop you from falling down the stairs. Yeah. Don't be wearing your Sandra Bullock proposal sky high yeah. heels and a pencil skirt. It'll reduce your chances. Yeah. You need yeah. some. You, you need to be able to like do some lunges so that you can catch yourself. Yeah. Because there is a landing, so if you're falling, you can stop yourself. Yeah. Halfway down, just like Eddie Murphy. Uh, They're hard landings, though. Yeah. Yeah. They are hard landings. So, yeah, that, that's, your fr- that's your festival primer. You're probably fucked. Scotiabank escalator. going to be broke as fuck. And, you know, stay thirsty. Uh, as for places to eat and drink around the festival, uh, my boy, uh, Ill Style, uh, with the Philly cheesesteak Sammy's is still across the street. Oh, He's yeah. still in I business. I had a cheesesteak once. It was not bad. Oh, my God. That sandwich is so good. Yeah. Listen... Apparently, who did somebody tell me they saw there the other day? Cardinal Fouchal? Apparently, he just swings by there whenever he's in the hood. I would not recognize Cardi. He recognized him by the voice, actually, not by how he looked. Yeah, I wouldn't recognize him if yeah. he started singing one of his own songs. Cardinal Anyway, Fouchal. if you want to bring like a good sandwich that will take you happily through three movies, mm-hmm. you go by Elstyle. You get that. You get that Philly cheesesteak. Don't fuck around. Don't get one of the like you know variant sandwiches. I ate that sandwich at least three times in the back half of the festival last year. I can't eat it on a regular day, but during the festival, when sometimes I only eat once in a day, mm-hmm. oh my God. Gotta keep your energy up. Mm. Yeah, good. It takes a while to make it, though. If there's yes, a lot, be patient. I have to, even when I was the only person there, it took about 20 yeah. minutes. I had to sit outside in a little, uh, in a little chair. He has a cute little bistro table out front. It gets hot inside, but he's legit from Philly. Oh, is he? He is, yeah. Yeah, the people I know from Watson's, they were the one that told me about that place. I saw the gentleman who worked there eating the, what smelled like the best thing I had ever encountered. They're like, yeah, this guy down the street next to Melt, you know. Yes, I've been yeah. to Melt. So they make good grilled cheeses. So yeah, Scotiabank trash, the sandwich place across the street, good God, is it good. Yeah, it's still, it's still a tough block to just find somewhere to have a quiet... Uh, rest and use the bathroom. Almost everywhere around there is sort of preternaturally slow. Um, the Dark Horse coffee takes forever. I just uh, use Ritual so I don't have to wait forever when I go in there to get a drink. 
they are nice. Not many spots to sit. It used to be Smokeless Joe's. It was like the original hipster beer place. So Ooh. the whole layout is like narrow and comfortable and not designed to make it easy for you to hang around. But so it's, it's, like, it's the best like non-branded coffee around that, so this that is spot on, there. This is it's on, on John. Oh, it's on John. John. Okay. It's like before you get to Office Pub and you go down to go inside there. Yeah, but that's it for festival tips for now. Maybe I'll do another sort of festival neighborhood tips episode before it starts. I don't know. I'm going to be drunk a lot. Uh, my birthday's coming up soon. My so, birthday's coming up soon. It's the day after. Yeah. Oh, so so here I'm going to make, since uh, before we jump into this, yeah. since you've, for like, um, uh, we're going to talk about freestyling. Some yeah. Uh, I'm going to start off the top with my with my beef. With it. Well, it's not a beef, particularly, um, but it's my grand unifying theory of TIFF. Um, so looking at the, what was once a intimidating program book, it's a lot smaller this year. Um, flipping through it uh, on a cursory glance, there was very little that struck me as things that I had any interest in. Um, this is the first year where I could not find an Australian movie that appealed to me. There's very few. Ooh. Um, and uh, I think that we are actually finally seeing, you know, we already, so this is my argument for not having TIFF. Uh, this has been a fantastic year for movies. I've seen so many fantastic movies this year, almost all of which are TIFF worthy, except for like the big blockbuster ones, obviously. But it's been a fantastic year and people um, like you, you know now, great movies are being released in February. They're being released before um, the fall. There are great movies coming out throughout the year, and what I notice mostly is um, the dearth of those movies that are in the mid range. And when you look through the book, so I used to love contemporary world cinema. Yes, I, I, there are so few movies made by American. Um, like sort of small American filmmakers. There's a lot of foreign films made by people who I don't know, starring people who I don't know. And and we talked about this last year, but I have a taxonomy for what I what will make me watch a movie. Number one, director. Number two, probably um, cast. Number three, and I'm probably not saying this the same way I did last year, but director, cast, um, um, subject matter, and country of origin. Those are all. Those are the four things that strike me. And there were very few things in this book that struck me this year. Um, and I think finally we're seeing like, the carry-on effect of having all of this great television. So all of the great filmmakers, all of the great American actors, they're all on TV now. And we're not seeing those small um, movies being made. All of the talent is now, they have a Netflix deal or an Apple TV deal. Um, and it's being reflected in, at least as far as I can tell, in what's available to watch at a film festival. So that's my argument for not needing TIFF anymore, because all of those experiences that I used to get in one week in September, like for so many years, my favorite movie, I always saw it at TIFF. And now that experience Oh my God, this year, out, that would be tough. But this year, it's spread out all over the place. Like it's spread out all over the year. So that's my argument for not, well, maybe not for not having TIFF, but TIFF has definitely, for me, lost its what once made it great for me. Um, so we might be coming to the end of our of our long-term relationship because uh, looking at this year's program, well, some great, you know, some movies that are great, but movies that I would see or have access to otherwise, I'm sure. 
And here's the thing. There's movies that are going to be in TIFF that I might not see at the festival because they're coming out so soon afterwards. So those could still end up being my favorite movie of the year, but I might not see them at the festival. Although I I still think I'm going to take a swing and go for the second screening of Widows. It's not premium. It's the morning after. I feel like... I'm hoping at least McQueen will show up. I don't even care. I'd love to see the ladies. Mm. But I just, awesome. I just want one more Steve McQueen Q&A in my life. So I might start chirping at Cameron on uh, on the tweets to make sure that he can, like, rouse Steve out of bed. Because a grumpy Steve McQueen that's been up late after his premiere? Oh, oh my God. Just let, I Savage. dare someone to ask a stupid question. I just... And there's I, a lot of stupid questions asked in these fucking Q&As. Yeah. I wish... I honestly... No lie, wish a motherfucker would try. Yeah, like just um, like any question that begins with um, or oh my God. or I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, oh, yeah, yeah, that gets me. That gets me high. But yeah, I. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be great. But it's that's the thing. Great. So like of the movies that are high profile, the things that catch my eye, they're, they're coming out like by coming November. Out by November, yeah. and the other things, I'm just, there's a lot of like, huh. It's, uh, I don't really want to see a Finnish movie with people I don't know. I'm sure, and it's not just because it's a Finnish movie with people that I don't know, but even reading these, some of the descriptions of movies, like so that's like the other criteria is subject matter that interests me, and I'm reading some of these descriptions, and I'm like, eh. And there's a lot of meh. Um, and, you know, in the past, I would struggle to find, like, to to discard movies like there were so many things that I wanted to see and this year I think it might be the reverse I think I might just be trying to fill it and I'm not even seeing that many movies but yeah it's 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 changed a lot and this year it there seems to be a noticeable like I think it's been coming for a long time but this year it's it seems to be very noticeable uh you know maybe the festival will surprise me but there is very little in that book Mm mm-hmm so that's that was my rant about how Tiff is, um, you know, getting a little long in the tooth and is not what it used to be. But none of us are. None of us are. Um, but for things that are from a region of the world that, okay, here's the thing. For Australia, I will say, as other people have left the festival and Jane has gone up in seniority, she has started scheduling more from USA and um, Israel. So the amount of movies from Australia that she's programmed, I think it's under 10 this year. So that's the thing. I'm starting to realize, I, when you originally told me about your rule of if it's from Australia, just go with it, mm-hmm. that was back when Jane was programming a shit ton of movies, yeah. mostly from Australia. But now that the stuff she programs is from more all over, that's not as safe a bet. So, you know. And because I've seen so many movies, like every year I try to see a movie from Australia, because I've seen so many movies from Australia, when I read some of these descriptions, I'm like, eh, I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. Like, I don't want to see a movie about a spirited young girl in small town Australia who forms a meaningful bond with a wild emu. So, I mean, call me crazy, but that doesn't really... It might be good. It might be good. I mean, it might be, but... It's the kind of movie you'd only see at the festival. I don't... Yeah. Listen, it's a bridge too far. So something that's in the first... It was a domesticated um, We might be able to talk. In the first couple of days is a movie called Kursk. Oh, yeah. That's on my list, yeah. So why don't you talk about it? Do you remember anything about it? Yeah, so I know precisely why I chose it. So it's Thomas Vinterberg, who's uh, Danish, and I have... So 
the Dogma 95 movement, which was these rules about purity in cinema, and you had your crazy Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg, there was a, a collective of Danish filmmakers who would make movies. They only used natural light. Um, there were they only used diegetic sound. If there was a, like you wouldn't use like artificial plot devices like guns. So from this we got movies like Breaking the Waves, which I can't watch anymore because there's only so much a person can cry. Um, and um, like there were a whole bunch of movies that um, that came out of this movement, like a a, a Festin. Um, there were a whole bunch of movies, and Thomas Vinterberg was one of these filmmakers. So he's one of these uh, people who I will see a movie made by uh, almost sight unseen. Did and you I, watch The Commune last year? Yeah, I didn't like The Commune. I like parts of it. I, it didn't, it, it felt dated and stale to me. Um, I think the third act really saved it. If it hadn't had some of the, the turns and twists in the third act, I would have been a bit more meh. But yeah, anyway... That is also going to go on my long list. And for people who are saying, oh, they're talking a lot of foreign nonsense. For, <laughs> for you Darcy heads out there, uh, Colin Firth's also in this one. Yes. And and one of the other reasons I chose it was because of Matthias Schoenertz, who, um, if you... How does one describe Matthias Schoenertz? He's been in a lot of movies that you've seen. You probably don't know who he is but he has this incredible star appeal um and he just feels like he's kind of a few crossover hits from being a big deal he's just one of these guys like i just i really love him i, I can't describe why but uh yeah so he's you know it's the combination of thomas winterberg and matthias schoenhertz makes me want to watch it uh not necessarily the subject matter because it's about a uh a submarine but not, yeah. a, but not a sandwich. It yeah. was not a submarine sandwich. I, this is only going on my long list because of the director oh. and the people that are in it. Mm-hmm. It's a program by Cameron Bailey. So, yeah. you know, he usually sort of shoots straight down the main... He's not, he's not throwing knuckleballs. Yeah. The, the occasional... He'll take a swing for the diaspora, but for the most yeah. part, he's a straight shooter. So, looks yeah. good. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. What else you got? Uh, so I'm just going uh, willy-nilly. Um, so um, so I'm going to not talk about things that we talked about before, except to mention like The the Wedding Guest by Michael Winterbottom. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about If Beale Street Could Talk, so that's a new Barry Jenkins movie. Yeah. Uh, starring um, uh, a Toronto kid, um, Stefan James, who was actually in friend of the podcast, uh, Floyd Kane's um, movie Across the Line. Um, so he's like... Um, He's one of these young black actors who is very much on the cusp, and he's really, he's a good actor, and the trailer for this movie... Oh my God, the trailer. brought me to my knees. That trailer is, should yeah. be an Academy Award winning short. And it's based on a, uh, on a novel, or I'm not sure if it's a novel or, or, a, uh, or a novella by uh, James Baldwin, but it looks incredibly powerful. It's set in, I'm gonna, this is all from my memory, so it's probably all wrong, but it looks like it's set in, this, in the 60s and um, uh, Stefan James's character goes to prison. It looks like it's a trumped up charge, um, but it looks, I mean, I have this thing about period movies being period specific and actually feeling like they were made in the period. Not that they evoke the period, but when you think of somebody like, um, uh, the guy who made oh my memory's failing, the movie with the redhead 
You know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about. Um, help me out. And then the guy who's the president on Twenty Four. I like these games. <laughs> so she's a redheaded actress. She's in that movie with the guy from um, a redheaded actress that's not Isla Fisher. Julianne Moore. No, Julianne oh, Moore. Oh, Julianne Moore. All right. Julianne Moore. So uh, still Alice? No. No, no, no. Uh, the one that she made with the guy who was the president on Twenty Four. Dennis Haysbert. Yes. Um, and uh, and the other Dennis was her husband, Meg Ryan's ex-husband. Quaid. Yes. So and he was a closeted gay man, and then she started to have an affair with Dennis Haysbert, who was a black handyman, and it was like. It was like a Douglas Sirk movie, um, and it was by the guy who made that Karen Carpenter movie. I think I have aphasia. No, this isn't aphasia. This is something else. But This is, um, this is red wine after uh, hours in a can. But the guy who made the movie about, uh, it's a Karen Carpenter, it's like Superstar. He's famous. He made uh, I'm deliberately not Googling this right now. He made now. Carol. He made I, Carol. I want to see how far this goes. He made Carol. Yeah. And he made, um, like, Superstar, the movie about Karen Carpenter, and he made the movie Safe with Julianne Moore originally, where she had, like, I was, I'm allergic to everything. You know what I'm talking about. He's, um, he's a gay American filmmaker. Todd Haynes. I got there. Todd Haynes. <laughs> and the movie was called Far From Heaven. So anyway, that, I don't even know what the fuck I was talking about. But anyway, It evokes a time. Yes. Far From Heaven was set in the 1950s, and it was like a Douglas Sirk movie, but... I loved it because it felt like it was made in the 1950s. And I love, and to an extent, Carol, too. I love when movies are, they are made, it's a period piece that looks like it was made in that period. So it really, and this is why I didn't like Black Klansman, because it just, like, it was, ostensibly it was the 70s, but there was really no signifiers of the 70s. It was very anachronistic. Everything yeah. from the way people moved to, the, like, the way they spoke to each Whereas, other. Whereas, I would say, like, Malcolm X, that you were so immersed in the 40s and 50s and 60s and yeah 60s in in, in Malcolm X but um, yeah so uh, the trailer for if Bill's Bill Street could talk seems so much to evoke this particular time and place and, I'm gonna say without feels without all of this without Barry Jenkins who I've loved since Medicine for Melancholy when I didn't know him from Jump Street yeah. without any of the other things Regina King oh I have so many thoughts about Regina King. A little that. So there you are. Listen, this one. Two two seven. This one. Brenda. It, it won't have to try. However. Yeah. And she's um, and she plays his mom, right? Uh, or someone's mom. A Caucasian on Twitter pointed out mm. today that uh, Damon Chazelle's movie mm. is premium and in the gala program, but Barry Jenkins is and, not. And which movie won the Academy Award? Well. Well, actually, not well, the year before last, because it was yeah. water last year. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> point is, yeah, good ally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, they. I think they even use that little thinking face emoji. Uh, I mean, but they would make the argument that yeah. uh, you have. But Ryan, they pointed out they weren't responding yeah, to a black yeah. person pointing it out. No, but yeah. I think the the festival would make the argument that it's Ryan uh, Ryan Gosling. But I have no interest in watching the first man, and I have a lot of interest in watching a Bill Street could talk. And that's based on subject matter, not based on filmmaker. And this is Barry Jenkins' third movie at the festival. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't want the first screening of this to be premium. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. I'm thrilled that it isn't. It's going to make it much easier to get into. Uh, I still, one of my big regrets from that year is that I didn't see Moonlight. And that by the time I caught on, it was too late and it was impossible to get to get. I actually bumped into Maxine Bailey this morning while I was waiting to pick up my program book. And she said... sister? She said... Moonlight was one of the movies that she was, like, walking the line early in the festival telling people about. 
Like she was literally oh. out there in the streets preaching. It was so funny. We we're waiting in line for the program books. So it was just me and a bunch of old white ladies in their raincoats. And Maxie just rolls up to me, chit chats, and then like strolls out, probably have a smoke or something. And they're looking at me like, who are you? And I'm just like, I'm the black lady. I'm the old black lady at the festival now. <laughs> <laughs> you got your bag. Yes, I do. Well, at least you're not carrying around a vintage bag from like 1997. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, so what's your next one then? Uh, I mean, for the first night, really the the options are pretty slim. Uh, as we mentioned, Outlaw King is playing, but that is premium listeners. So if you got money and time to waste, then have at it. I'm not about about it. Um, one of the other movies that's premium on the first night is Monsters and Men. Yet another movie where somebody gets shot by the popo. Uh, yeah, that not, one yeah, features uh, young Hamilton, Philip Hamilton. Uh, if you're asking me who that is, the boyfriend of uh, Ron Cephas Jones' daughter, he's the one of the main guys in this movie. Okay, none of that made any sense to me. Anyway, this one, I mean, it looks good. The fact that they gave it this early of a slot in the festival, maybe it's even better than it looks like. One of the movies that I did have on my list that we talked about earlier is Anthropocene from the people who brought us manufactured landscapes. That is not premium. That is on the first Thursday. And then the opening night, Midnight Madness, is premium, and it's The Predator. Yeah, but that's going to come out so soon. Exactly. Hard pass. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very slim... And all these sections are so slim this year. They really are. Um, so if we go into the next day, for things that are going to be on the first Friday, that you don't have to take uh, the day off work. If you got money, you want to see that premium shit... Beautiful boy, uh, mm. Timothy Chalamet. There's gonna Coming be a, up too soon. There's going to be a line of confused tweens uh, <laughs> up there, out in them streets, looking for that androgynous deliciousness that he's serving. Yeah, but that's, that's coming up. The Hate You Give is also that night, also premium. Yeah. Uh, Hotel Mumbai, my boy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Patel. He's flowing locks. Yeah, I got to get that. Uh, Gloria Bell, that I hadn't yes. really been... So that is that was one that caught my eye. So that is of, with the aforementioned... Julia, Julianne Moore, so all of my rambling wasn't for naught. Um, it looks like she's a woman who sort of uh, is going, and this is based purely on my, imag- on, on my, uh, on my memory, um, but she's like um, a mother who sort of goes to a bar and is looking for love with John Turturro, which um, it's, it has a certain, so this is, for me, it's like, okay, this is something that's intriguing because based on what the story is about... Oh, my God. It's the director of uh, A Fantastic Woman. Yes. Uh, Sebastian Lelio. Um, so it's interesting enough to pique my interest, which a lot of these movies haven't been. So, um, yeah, like it looks like she's the, the mother of two grown children. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so it's got a picture of Julia Moore wearing glasses, drinking a cocktail in a bar. I'd watch that. Why not? Yeah, why not? So yeah, so that's um, that's um, on my short... Well, I don't even have a list yet, but it's on one of my lists. So also on the Friday, uh, the previously mentioned on... I'm not sure if it was with you or with the Canadian episode I did with Andrew. It was probably that one, uh, since it's French. Uh, Les Salopes. Or the naturally wanted pleasure of skin. Uh, oh, that's okay. on Friday night. Um, Emu Runner, which uh, we mentioned previously. What was it called? Emu. emu oh, yeah. Emu like, yeah. A girl makes friends with a wild emu. Pass. 
I mean, yeah. The, the pickings for Friday, I think you really need to go into that contemporary world cinema because there are going to be a few options that aren't premium that you might find a nice surprise. And again, the festival, I can't say this for them, the stuff that they program in the first four or five days, they usually do make an effort to make sure that this is at least, it's good storytelling. has sort of a good, you know, first, second, third act. There isn't a lot that's completely trash. So while it may not seem interesting to you, if you can't get those premium tickets, I would say take a deeper read on some of the other offerings in the first Friday. But yeah, there's not a lot on that night. What else you got? Um, so I've got this movie by... Um, uh, so Paprika Steen, who is speaking of Danes, so she's an actor, um, and she's been in a lot of... So she was in uh, the Celebration Fest, and, um, and I haven't seen her in um, a movie in a while, but she has a film called That Time of Year, in which she stars and directs. So once again, this is like based on like sort of actor who I've always liked um and uh it's her directorial i don't i don't know if it's her debut but she's directing this and she's a you know, she's a woman so it was one of these things that kind of caught my eye um you know I, I don't know anything more about it than that i just like there are some movies i'm like yeah i i'm probably gonna see it anyway um because she's such she's a really really good actor and if you've ever seen like you've seen the celebration right mm-hmm. like that is a hard movie to watch and these movies with with all of these like she's an actor who has appeared very um naked not physically naked although i'm sure she has because she's danish and you know the europeans but has made some movies and given some some performances that have made me very uncomfortable watching them so i'm assuming that if she's a director I'll get the same experience. And that isn't an experience that I get very often. And I certainly don't get it very often in North American cinema. But um, uh, there are... And it's, it's interesting that it's, that it's like Scandinavian cinema. But some of the movies that have been, uh, for me, the most difficult to watch have been Scandinavian movies. Um, it's weird, you know, you have people with these, like, uh, the countries that are the best countries in the world to live, the ones with the happy, with the high highest happiest index makes some of the most uh, uncomfortable movies but not in like a cringeworthy um uk office sense but just uh, i can't really describe it but if you watch the celebration you know you know exactly what that feeling is to feel uh, like you would rather be anywhere else than in a seat watching what's going on on screen which is a very hard thing to to do and to not have it be um, based in like some sort of awkward silence, but anyway, yeah. So that's um, so um, it's called that time of year, and it's uh, directed by Paprika Steen. I don't know when it's um, when it's playing. Um, but as you mentioned, your next choice. You'll have a look for it. So something that's coming up on the first Saturday, farming. By tri- oh, triple, sorry. and this is uh, September seventh. So this is the oh, first Friday. All right, there you go. That time of year, that's great. Yep. Uh, farming, uh, directed by you may know him as Mr. Echo from Lost. Yes. I forget who he was on Oz. Uh, he was a uh, he had that little tiny hat. Yeah, uh, he was born in North London, 
and he also uh, was unfortunately Killer Croc in Suicide Squad. Uh, but he's directing. Oh, that's right. He's he's directing this <laughs> film, Jesus. Uh, and he draws on his own life for this electrifying feature directorial debut about a London-born. Nigerian child voluntarily placed in a white working class home as part of a 1960s social experiment, stranding him between cultures and sending him through adolescence on a twisting journey from destructive self-loathing to perseverance. Uh, unfortunately programmed by peers. So I'm going to be 50-50 on this one, I'm not going to lie. However, even sort of reading the summary, it evokes some of what's been happening on social media lately. When you think of um, Kelly Marie Tran, or Lone, as she says her name is, uh, coming out and talking for the first time since she left social media. And then there's also another young woman who wrote for... In the festival as well. I think she writes for HuffPost or someone that sort of talks about kind of Asian eraser and like growing up and... You know, basically trying to remove anything ethnic about yourself mm-hmm. and then realizing when you grow up that it's just because of how you're raised and who you're raised around. This is obviously this film and this scenario is a much more extreme example of that, but shit's the truth. So, you know, I'm interested and I might, this might make it higher on my long list for completely stupid reasons in that. Once he liked a tweet of mine because I tweeted enthusiastically about wanting to watch um, the second G.I. Joe movie because of the ninja fight on a mountain, and he liked my tweet because he was oh, in the movie. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Listen, it was a ninja fight on a mountain. Yeah, uh, I think my boy Channing Tatum was in that movie. Briefly, but yeah. Yeah, that's when Channing Tatum was like in everything. Yeah. I- including <laughs> Janet <laughs> Dewan Tatum. Uh, oh, too soon. Too soon. Um, actually, uh, sort, of, sort of dovetailing with the description that you just mentioned, there's actually a movie, um, so its first screening is on the Saturday, uh, September 8th. It's called Angelo. Um, so it's from Luxembourg, um, well, Austria, Luxembourg. Um, and uh, the filmmaker's name is Marcus Schlenze. It's his long-awaited second feature, and it's a true story about a young African boy who's abducted, sold, and forced into 18th century Viennese court life, where he must wrestle with the restrictions placed on him by society. So it sounds like... That's a super depressing double feature, listener, if you want to... But it's just, but it, but it's interesting, because this is obviously, uh, you know, 200, 300 years ago. Um, we're in the 21st century. Um, but it's a story that I don't know anything about, and... If you like Belle, you may also like... Yeah. Angela. But this is, um, I mean, I, I assume this boy was enslaved from Africa, and brought to the Viennese court as, and I don't know in what capacity, um, he was a court more, so um, can't be great based on based on what it is. But I think this is probably one of these stories about a period in time that we don't. It's never written about in history, but I'm assuming that this function in the Viennese court was a was a common thing. Like you would have a little. I mean, when you think about you'd like, have a curiosity. He's basically like a live action lawn jockey. Yeah. is what, like, I think there's probably a time when little black boys were taken from Africa to be decorative showpieces in a Viennese court to mark as a signifier, like having a plum or something that was exotic. Um, so this is a story that I don't know anything about. Um, so like, um, I don't know anything about the, the filmmaker. There's nobody in it who, who I know, but this is one of those movies that 
based purely on subject matter seems really, really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, and it's, you know, it's German and, and French, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this movie. And as time goes on, I'm less likely to read movies, but I will, because I'm just getting, I'm getting tired. But um, yeah, I, I, will, I will definitely, this is like if you on my short list. Yeah, anything else that you got? Um, there's this movie called, speaking of Belle, um, so there's a movie called When, we're sorry, Where Hands Touch. I don't, again, probably not going to see it, but I just want to highlight it. So I actually, um, so Amma Asante, who made Belle, and then she also made A United Kingdom. Uh, so this is a movie with Amanda Stenberg. Stenberg, whose name I can never, never, ever remember. So it's a movie that I will be on the lookup for post-festival, and she makes really well-made, uh, very posh um, period films. Oh, shit. I didn't read the summary for this. A disquieting coming-of-age romance about a black German teenager mm-hmm. who falls in love with a member of the Hitler Youth. Yeah. But, Whoa. That's but, a, that's a but, real dark take on the... But Alma Asante, like, unless she's making a, a very sharp turn, doesn't traffic in... Like, her movies don't have a lot of shocks. I think it will probably be a very earnest love story. Um, and it, so on the weekend, because uh, I was working on the weekend, oh, everybody's working for the weekend, um, so I was just sitting here and watching things on Netflix, so I, uh, I watched the Guernsey um, Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society film, and unfortunately I actually read that book. Um, but... It took place on the Isle of Guernsey during the Nazi occupation, and one of the subplots is uh, one of the women in, on Guernsey had an affair with a Nazi officer, and it was they the Nazi was kind of like a nice guy. Uh, his name is Christopher, uh, so I feel like Alma Sante's take will be like that. It'll be a gentle take. Like the Nazi's probably he's probably a good Nazi. Well, here's the thing. There's a couple of things. No such thing. There's a couple of things I read recently about one. Just because somebody wants to have relations with you doesn't mean they're <laughs> not still racist. Like you can want to have um, sex with somebody who's an other and still be racist. You can like have an emotional or like fetishize or whatever. Of course, it yeah. doesn't make you whatever. And then also, I think it was on Salon something about um, the kind of weaponization of biracial children. And again, just because you manage to mix your um, DNA with somebody that's an other mm-hmm. and spit out something that's biracial does not make you possibly not racist. Though. Yeah. And, and don't make... Biracial children have enough to do. They don't need to carry your nonsense for them. They need to sort their own shit out. Oh, yeah. And I think all Nazis are bad. Yeah. Neo and uh, Olda. Yeah. Neo and original and flavor. Yeah, original flavor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard pass, hard disagree. Um, but, I, but I do like Alma Santi as a as a as a filmmaker. She's a black British woman. Yes. Uh, of, Great uh, filmmaker. Yeah, I so. love Amanda Stenberg. That she got radicalized by assholes on the internet yeah. as a small child who thought they shouldn't have a black Rue, and if Rue was black, they didn't care if she died. And mm-hmm. spoilers for Hunger Games. She so died. this this child came out woke. Because mm-hmm. grown ass folks decided to come for a little girl, and she has not stopped ever since. That's true. Yeah, but she and she does need a hit. Cause she's 
She's been swinging for the fences, but none of the movies that she's made. Yeah, things have been Which is also The Hate You Give, which is probably yeah. going to be The Hate You Give. That's going to be her. Because that book was really popular. Yeah. Even okay. I read it, and it's a YA novel. Yeah. Again, like, that hasn't even come out yet. Like, so again, oh, one yeah. of our favorite yeah. movies of the year could happen at the festival, but neither of us may see that movie at the festival. Yes. And I've seen so many favorite movies this year. It's yeah. A, it's like a five-way tie. But Yeah. Amasante also directed Bell, one of my favorite movies yeah. from a couple of festivals ago. And again, another uh, problematic relationship. Yes. So, you know? Uh, cast includes uh, George McKay, Abby Cornish, Christopher Eccleston, Tom Sweet. So, you know, looks good. It's already got uh, an international uh, sales sort of setup and a U.S. distributor, so this one may be found. It probably will be harder to find. Amasante movies are. So this is one I would say... Even though there's some big names in it and it's got, you know, a sales agent, distributor, North America, you still might want to take a swing at this one, listener, just because yeah, the odds it, of you getting first, to but see it. I'm going to wait to see it post festival. The odds of you getting to see it in like a fully packed theater, mm-hmm. pretty slim. Pretty slim. Uh, we've been talking for a while. I might have to edit this or cut this in half. I don't even know. Well, we don't, um, you know what? So we could Maybe just. Maybe we could just do another. Yeah, let's do like another couple. And yes. then that's it. But no, I was off your list. Oh, okay. So I'll go with. Oh, the, do another episode. No, let's not. Not tonight. Tor- not tonight. <laughs> no, let's just stop this and start all over again. Um, <laughs> no, so okay. So uh, I will go with. Um, uh, there's a documentary by Errol Morris called American Dharma. Uh, I love it. once again Errol Morris. I will see anything that he does. Going back to the Thin Blue Line, is a, the Thin Blue Line is probably the first like before before Hoop Dreams. The Thin Blue Line is the first time that a documentary, a documentary, a documentary. Ooh, I couldn't pick t- this one just because Steve Bannon's ugly old mom. Yeah, but what? But Errol Morris made the movie with um, <sighs> with Robert McNamara, um, where he sort of, after all of this time, he gave a mea culpa for the his uh, his role in the Vietnamese War, the Vietnam War. Not the Vietnamese War. In the Vietnam War. Um, so I don't know what Steve Bannon's going to say, but Errol Morris was the first time I ever saw a documentary that made me understand the power of a documentary. Because there was a moment, if you haven't seen The Thin Blue Line, there was a moment at the end of the movie that I'd never seen in a documentary before. And his influence on modern documentarians is, it gets unfathomable. And he also created this, um, that's a camera setup called the I think it's called the Interrotron. So he has a way to set up a camera so that, um, so in most documentaries with talking heads, you have the subject of the documentary looking at the person who's asking them questions. Um, he has this little setup where he has a, there's his face, it's above the camera lens. So he's talking to the subject, but the subject is looking directly in the camera. So you get this confessional style that you don't get with other talking head interviews. And Errol Morris is like, he's just like, I think he's a preeminent um, documentarian. Like, and also there's some Michael Moore nonsense, like 11-9, which is like the date that Trump won the election. It's like, um, no, F- Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, whatever not, the date Fa- he won. Yeah. Fa- Fahrenheit 11-9. Like, yeah. I'm not interested in that. Errol yeah. Morris. But American Drama is in the first few days. It opens on the Sunday. Yeah. So, I, so. I, I definitely want to see that. Um, and there's also another movie called... Um, um, Programmed by Tom, he of the Velvet Blazers, always good picks for Tom. 
And there's a movie called um, The Weekend by Stella McGee that we talked about before. Yeah. Um, there's a movie called um, uh, Float Like a Butterfly, which looks very interesting. So it is about a girl boxer. Ooh. Um, so it's called Float Like a Butterfly because her dad uh, reveres Muhammad Ali as a boxer. And it's one of these films. It's not... Um, I'm not sure of the country of origin. I think it's Irish. Um, so there's this, like... I like Unless I'm mixing it up with something else. I think she's like a traveler, like an Irish traveler. Um, but she's a girl boxer. Uh, yeah. Uh, a young Irish traveler has to contend with her recently released from prison father in order to pursue her dreams of being a boxer and making her idol Muhammad Ali proud. So, like, how could I not want to watch that? That does look great. Yeah, like, just, like, and even when you look at the... Program by Michelle Mayhew. Oh, I don't well, I don't do a lot of her picks. But, says, but even when yeah. you look at the screen... Lady uh, director? Shots, like, this shot. Like... This is... Yeah. Listener, please go to the website and look up this movie. The One yeah. of the stills is the perfect example of why you want to occasionally buy the program book. Yeah. It's so. the, there's a still with the girl sort of in a crouch format. There's a lot of dudes around. It looks great. And the two people like in the center, like they're in color and everything else is washed out. So this is like one of the movies that I'm going to take a complete, um, uh, like I'm, I'm in. And that is on Friday, September 7th. Okay. So all these, well, actually, um, a lot of these films, when you look at them, they have, it's not like it was. Oh, wait, authors. no. It's Friday 7th is yeah. a P&I. They're, the first public okay. screening is Saturday, September 8th, but it, it does open yeah, early. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it looks really, really um, kind of dope. So that's, um, you know, and then I have like a few other ones, but nothing else um, that um, bears. Um, oh, it has a nice uh, 7 p.m. on Monday as well. So you can see it oh, after work, listener. Yeah, that's what if I'm going to If you're not taking off the week. Gonna, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that looks like it, it could, that could worm its way into my heart. Um, and there's a couple of other documentaries. One's called Free Solo. Um, it's about this guy who, he's a free climber. And I have this thing for, um, and I don't know why, because there's nothing I would ever do in life, but people who have these weird solitary sports obsessions. Like I love surfing documentaries. Oh, I love yeah. things about free climbers, things I would never do in a million One years. One of the first movies I ever saw 3D at TIFF, or it was probably the second, because I think Monster in Paris, I saw that same year in 3D as well, was that surfing documentary that they shot. And it was like 3D. It was gorgeous. Oh, God. When you're inside the curl? Like, I just, yeah. I, I wish I was the kind of person who could do this, but I'm not. Um, and, and then finally, there's this movie called The Sweet Requiem, because I um, have also this weird obsession with uh, mountaineering movies. So, so Free Solo opens on Sunday as well. So okay. Mel's making some great picks for oh. you, listener, that you might not find on your own for early movies. And The Sweet Requiem, it's a follow-up to 2005's Dreaming Lhasa, uh, uh, but um, it's a documentary uh, about a young Tibetan woman grappling with living in exile, revealing a side of the refugee crisis we rarely get to see. Um, but it involves um, mountaineering and Everest and uh, the people of Tibet. So, uh, and it's it's programmed by by Cameron. But this is like this and is one a, of the co-directors, Lady. Yes. Um, so this is one of the kind of movies that will. Like, I'm in, because there was a movie from a couple of years ago uh, that was about um, all of the Sherpas who died um, in, a, in a particularly bad climbing season in Everest when there was an avalanche. So, yeah, this is, like, this is right up my... I don't know why, but I think we all have these things that are so far 
um, divorced from our lives, but fascinate us. And for some reason, Everest and ever since I read into into thin air, like it's been this weird thing that haunts my dreams, but I would never ever do. But it's just one of these things that is sort of it, it fascinates me. So we're gonna call it, listener, because we've given you a lot of uh, research. Uh, but I would strongly recommend uh, you go deep on the site uh, before tickets are available for public yes. uh, purchase. Uh, if you are listening to me to make choices for you, that means you didn't get a program book and you aren't playing this shit ahead of time. So just so you know, the dates for people who are non-members, uh, it's September 3rd. You can purchase individual tickets starting at 10 a.m. online at Ticketmaster.ca or at the Festival Members Box Office. If you buy tickets straight from Ticketmaster, TIFF doesn't want to know you. If you want to like do a refund or exchange, you have to buy it through like TIFF TIFF, like the reels, if you oh. want to do anything afterwards. And even then, as a non-member, you don't have many options to do any kind of like moves or switches or ads. This isn't your fantasy baseball, which I have been neglecting my fantasy baseball team. I'm pretty much dead last, I think. Anyway, point, not the point. Uh, and Marty then Casey has struck out after September 3rd. So the festival starts at sixth, but remember if something is off sale, if you get your ass up and get online at 7 a.m. every morning, yeah, go, go to the rush line. Now, I, Honestly, since they started to do the online sales, um, usually there's a small amount of tickets that are released at 7 a.m., even for things that they mark as off-sale. Yes. So you can you can grind many ways. You can grind online. You can go out in the streets. You can try. I mean, if you're going to, like, do the StubHub scalper thing, just make sure this is a movie, an experience, an evening that you will enjoy no matter what, even if you get a shitty seat. Uh, even if you don't enjoy the film, whatever, because the prices you'll pay from scalpers, it's kind of exorbitant. And it would be a shame for you to have your first festival experience be overpriced and, like, underwhelming. And if you're looking cute and feeling cute, somebody will always come along and say, would you like a free ticket? In the past, I have both bestowed and had bestowed upon me tickets to movies. Uh, Sometimes people can't make it, and uh, uh, a lot of um, compassion to film goers will just find the the person who has the most appealing face to give the ticket to. I yeah. remember a, a couple of years ago it was the movie uh, okay, Michael Shannon, mm. that black lady loving. I got oh. that I got that in two. Ruth Nega. Yes. Um, and, and, and I was standing in line Edgerton at, he's got a yeah, movie in yes. the festival this year. So I was standing in line at, at, Oh boy you're raced. In the Elgin. Yeah. Well, that's coming out, though. It's coming out, but... but that's with the other kid, uh, and he's... Uh, I still like Edgerton. He, he goes to Christian Conversion Camp, right? Yeah. Or, sorry, to Gay Conversion Camp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this woman, who's a black woman, she kind of went down the line until she saw me, and then she gave me the ticket for loving. I was like, yeah, suckers. Um, and I happily took it, even though I admit that I couldn't see another movie. But I didn't like loving. But that's a whole other... You know, that's two years ago now. I moved on. You didn't like loving? Even no. the bit with Michael Shannon? Because I feel like the bit with Michael Shannon was the best part of that movie. There was a, like him as a photographer coming in yeah, in that he was moment. A, the only part of the movie that was good, uh, Nick uh, Kroll should have never been in it. And I love Nick Kroll. Yeah. But there's also... Um, I had already seen a documentary about um, this couple. The documentary was much better. And these people were so reserved. Like, they captured their characters in the sense that they never spoke out. They were not 
there were people to whom things happened. There were not people that made things happen. Yeah. They were incredibly passive. So as characters in a movie, it just wasn't, it didn't, people who don't say anything and just, anyway, just seek out the documentary. It's much, much better. And there's all kinds of archival footage of them. The movie didn't add anything that I didn't know. But, you know, but for the, uh, for the uninitiated, then maybe it's fine, but. I was like, hmm. I, I loved it, and it was sort of in a string of movies in that part of my week that year that just had me weeping. I think I saw Loving and Lion, like, not back oh. to back, but pretty close to each other. So I was just basically, yeah. like, my soul was a melon baller, and Tiff was just carving out holes and making mm. me cry, so. Yeah, Lion, yeah. Yeah. And I had, Ugh. I watched Lion for the second time with a group of people who had never seen it. Jesus. And then I put it at them as they all cried like a bunch of little bitches. And, like, and then you made them watch the end credit stuff. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, oh no, don't I go to the bathroom. The, I cry at the end credits, even though the end credits is what before. gets that's you. That's the best part. That's where they get you. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I was sobbing at the end of that movie. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, my boy Joel Edgerton will be here this year too, but his movie doesn't open till Tuesday, and it's premium because it's coming out soon. Um, but and because you know Kidman, Russell Crowe, whatever. But I'm interested in this because. Uh, I saw his other movie that he uh, wrote, directed, Felony, which was quite good, much smaller. Oh, there was the other one. Um, the house was it uh, the one with um, um, Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. Uh, the it? gift. The gift. Yeah. yeah, that was a yeah. great movie. Yeah. No, this this kid's got chops. Yeah. I'm sorry, are we talking about Joel Edgerton? Or are we yeah, Joel Edgerton. Okay. Yeah. 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 I like him. Yeah. So we're going to stop, stop right now. Uh, listener, you know what? I'm not going to promise that I'm for sure going to do like three to four between now and the end of the festival. We're going to for sure try to do at least one more, either with Mel or Butter Voiced Andrew or both. We'll see what happens. I have a Butter Voice. You have... I don't have a Butter Face. You have all the things. And... Is it Butter Voice like Butter Face or is it like Butter Voice like... He has, it's Butter. It's like he has a nice... Oh, like he has like that yeah. Caribbean accent. Because Butter Face would be a nice thing if your face was like Butter, but what it literally means is that... It's good to butter know... Butter Face. It's good to know you don't listen to the episodes I record without you. So in your mind, you're my only podcast partner. Why would I listen to somebody talking who wasn't me? And... We're out.